Turn with me in your Bible this morning just to uh, look briefly at Galatians 5.22, the list of the fruit of the Spirit. Fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5.22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, and I want us to stop on patience. The fruit of the Spirit is Patient. Obviously, there's the contrast again. It's not uh, an outburst of anger. God does not have a short fuse. He doesn't have an outburst of anger. God is slow. I was thinking as we were singing that song, that, that's a great song, powerful song, uh, deep words. I would never lead that song. People used to talk about me when I when I was your worship leader and playing guitar. See, David, they don't all have to be fast. I like fast songs. That song just goes too slow for me, and I, I was sitting there repenting before I came up. Probably the reason I don't like songs like that, because I'm impatient. I want to move on. Let's, let's get on with it. And there's certain times where God says, no, slow down. Slow down. You don't need to always go fast. Um, And there's a lot for us to think about there. The fruit of the Spirit is patience, meaning this is part of God's character. It's part of His nature to be patient, and we need to emulate His character. He wants to work that in us, make it a fruit of His presence in us. You think about the patience of God. Um, He doesn't zap people into maturity. He fashions a child in a mother's womb for nine months. Then the child comes into this world and grows for another, you pick a number, 18, 20 years before we say the, the son has become a man. And there's still much more growing to, to go on. God could, could do things much quicker. Like plant, you know, he plants an oak tree, a seed. And it takes a hundred years to see it get to this full maturity. Uh, you know, in six days he created the world. He can do things fast. But he chooses not to. He chooses to to do so many things around us extremely slow. Um, Not because he has to, but because it is his nature. The fruit of the Spirit is patience. He wants us to have that nature as well. And yet, you know, from our earliest age, we're struggling with this, this fruit. Uh, if mama's doling out ice cream today and you got a bunch of little kids, the first one gets some, me next, me next, me next, me next, you know, and mama has to say, be patient. And being patient is simply waiting without fussing, without grumbling, without complaining. Can we, can we endure without the complaint. That's what patience is, and if you struggle with it like me, the question is, how do we cultivate patience? To cultivate patience, I've looked at it from this angle. What pushes my patience? What pushes you to the brink? What pushes you over the edge? What gets you, my wife says, on your last nerve? To where you're about to lose it. Then you say, well, you're trying my patience. I'm about to lose it. What's, what gets you to that point? Three things really get us there. Ignorance gets us there. Inexperience gets us there. And insubordination gets us there. If you think about those three areas, you can begin to cultivate patience a lot better we just don't know what the will of God is so we try to push forward that's ignorance we don't really have or haven't developed experiences 
So it pushes our patience. We can get experience by looking at the experiences of God. Or we simply don't want to be submissive. And we really haven't learned from the submission of Christ to the will of God. And because of those things, you look at an immature child. They have all three. You see it in them. Begin to look at whatever your age. Look at your own heart and your own life and and think about these things. Let me um, give you some examples through Scripture. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 13. 1 Samuel 13, the story of Saul. Um, Saul's the king. I'm going to start at verse 5. And um, it says, 1 Samuel 13, verse 5, Now the Philistines assembled to fight with Israel. 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, and people like the sand which is on the seashore in abundance, they came up and they camped in Michmash east of Beth Haven. Now when the men of Israel saw that, they were, saw that uh, they were in a strait, for the people were hard-pressed. Then the people hid themselves in caves and thickets, in cliffs, in cellars, in pits. Also some of the Hebrews crossed the Jordan into the land of Gad and Gilead. But as for Saul, he was still in Gilgal. And all the people followed him trembling. When you start to get an image of what's going on here, people come to, to war against you, and they vastly outnumber you. And Saul, the leader, his men start saying, I'm not fighting in this battle. This is suicide. And so they start hiding um, some even swim a river to, to get out of Dodge. You know, get away from, from, from what's about to happen here. Saul has got to muster his troops to, to win this thing, and his troops are leading, leaving him, so that's his predicament. It's like, you guys are trying my patience here. Why? Verse 8 says, now he waited. He was commanded to wait. He waited seven days according to the appointed time set by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering from him. So Saul said, bring to me the burnt offering and the peace offering. And he offered the burnt offering. So obviously he was commanded to wait for the priest to show up. So they begin this battle with the Lord. And they they begin with worship. Saul is not the worship leader. He's not the priest. He was not the one who was supposed to do these things. He says, bring it to me. Somebody's got to do it. I'm going to do it. Verse 10. As soon as he finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him and to greet him. But Samuel said, what have you done? And Saul said, because I saw the people were scattering from me and that you did not come within the appointed days and that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash. Therefore I said, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal and I have not asked the favor of the Lord. So so I just had to. I forced myself. And I offered the burnt offering. Samuel said to Saul, you've acted foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever, but now your kingdom shall not endure. The Lord was sought, has sought out for himself a man after his own heart, and the Lord has appointed him as a ruler over his people, because you have not kept the command, uh, what the Lord commanded you. Uh, what did Saul do? He just wasn't patient. All that was required of him there was to wait. Wait. And the Lord was going to bless him. But then he says, because you didn't wait, because you weren't patient, the Lord's not going to bless you. So great consequences to the lack of patience. Um, Why did he lose it? His ignorance of trusting the wisdom of God you know, he was thinking, this is not wise. I need to get my guys together before they scattered. Uh, we need to go ahead and start this worship service. People are, are scattering. They're leaving. Let's get on with it. And Samuel said, no, you should have waited. You acted foolishly to proceed 
doing something that was sinful, that was wrong, that was not according to God's command. Uh, so many times we may even know the command, but we rush on through. We, we change it up. We do it our way because we don't want to wait. We just want to get on with things, and that's exactly what uh, Saul was doing. You know, the, we go through many times where we're asked to wait, you know, and we push on. So many things try our patience. The house won't sell. The kids won't come home on time. You know, the work is not given to me on time. There's so many things happen. And we want to push forward when God may be asking us to, to be patient, to meditate on God's Word. So much of patience, I think, is, is going to require us to have more of a, presence of mind that, that God is with us and God is leading us and God's directing us. Uh, perhaps because we're weak on meditation, meditating on God, His Word, His direction, that we, we begin to think about life without God and that forces us to, like Saul says, I just forced myself. I forced myself into something else because I, I wasn't content to, to think about the Lord. I wanted to think about myself and my men and my work. Well, another thing I want us to think about, just the ignorance of trying to do life ourselves, is going to lead us to impatience. Inexperience with life will lead us there as well. Look at James chapter 5. James 5, and gives us the example of the farmer, as well as Job. James chapter 5, verse 7. Therefore, be patient. Be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. So how long should we do this? Until we see the Lord. The farmer waits. The farmer is a great example of patience. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until he gets the early and the late rains. You too be patient. Just like the farmer. the farmer. The farmer cannot be a good farmer without waiting on the Lord. Farms cannot produce crops. God produces crops. Farmers plant. God, you have to wait for God to water. So they have to wait. And they can't just turn on big time farmers. can't just turn on the faucet. Um, and it won't do what God can do anyway. They've got to wait for the sun. They've got to wait for the rain. They've got to wait... For, for God to grow plants. He says, learn from that. You too be patient. Uh, strengthen your hearts for the coming of the Lord is near. Don't complain. Another ingredient. It's waiting without fussing. Do not complain, brethren, against one another, so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. As an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We count those blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. If I were to ask you to fill in the blank, the blank of Job, most of you would say the patience of Job. He's known for that, but notice the word here, the interchange in verse 10 and 11. Uh, Take an example of the patience. And then in verse 11, it says, We count those people who were patient, blessed, who endured. And you've heard of the endurance of Job. Patience is really an endurance. It's waiting through tough, long times. Maybe we should learn from this, take an example that it's, it's an it's an experience of endurance. That's what patience is. Enduring the trials of life without complaining that other people are at fault for your trials. This is learn from that. That's the experiences that others have had, like Job, like the prophets. And he picks the most righteous men on earth. There was no one more upright than Job. 
And yet, he had more trials than all of us combined. I mean, he lost all of his children, all of his possessions, all of the praise and encouragement of his family and friends. And he endured without complaining, uh, without fussing about the trials that God had given him and afflicted him with. Uh, so easy to, uh, to complain and fight against what God has given us. One quick verse, Romans chapter 5, verse 3. We know this. Maybe we uh, meditate on it more. Romans 5, 3 says, Not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations. Really? Do you really rejoice in your tribulations knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance? Perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's given to us. Do you really rejoice that your trials are doing something good so that you don't complain about them and you just say to God, God, just let me endure. This is good for me, this trial, this having to wait through and suffer you're creating stronger, better, more righteous, godly character in me through this. And so I, I rejoice in that. I am maturing as a result of waiting, enduring. Um, God says, don't you get that? Ask, ask anybody older than you that's gone through more experiences than you. And they'll, they'll tell you how they learn through the trials, through the suffering, through the pain that we want to escape from. We want to always get out. We always want to fight against it. You know, Lord, take me out of this. Take me out of this. Take me out of this. We pray instead of, Lord, give me wisdom and strength to endure this. This is your will for me. And this is going to bless me. It's going it's to create in me a maturity I don't currently have. It reminded me, um, uh, if you ever go down some of the, the rivers rafting, like the Natahala or something, there's, there's some little waterfalls you can go down. And if you've got experience, you know if you fall out and you go down the waterfall and you get into that pool of water where the water hits... Anybody who's done that will tell you, don't try to pop right back up. Don't try to swim to the top to, to, to get air. Uh, why? Because that's where the pressure of all the water is. People who've tried to do that drown trying to do that. Because you try to get to the top and the water's beating you back down. You're trying to get up and it beats you back down and you finally get exhausted and you drown. You're trying to go up, fight the current. What you do when you, you go over the waterfall is just take a big breath and relax. And the current will take you down to the bottom, and then it's going downstream. It's going to push you downstream, and you're going to come up, and the waters are going to be gentle. It's going to be nice. And it's like just rest in the trial and watch it just move you on downstream. And it's just... I used to enjoy doing that. It's just, it's just a beautiful experience. Let's go do it again. Jump off and, and watch God just take you down and out and then back up. But if you try to swim against it, you'll die. And so much of our lives, we are doing that. We're trying to swim against what God is wonderfully and beautifully doing. Because we don't, we don't like the pressure, and yet the pressure is creating character that's like our God, and God wants us to have. It's the fruit of His Spirit, which is patience. Um, let's hit a third thing, in, insubordination. Back in 1 Samuel chapter 15, one of the most popular phrases in the Bible is, is here with, with Saul one more time for... Um, kingdom begins to switch to, to David. 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 10, says, The word of the Lord came to Samuel, saying, 
I regret that I have made Saul king, for he's turned back from following me and has not carried out my commands. We've seen that already. He's, he's making a habit of it. Look at verse 20. Then Saul said to Samuel, I did, I did obey. You know, God just said, you didn't obey. Saul said, I did obey the voice of the Lord. And I went on the mission on which the Lord sent me, and I have brought back Agag, the king of Amalek, um, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the, the people, you know, it wasn't me. The people were the disobedient ones. The people took some of the spoil, the sheep, the oxen, the choices of the things devoted to destruction, key phrase. God told them, I want you to go against the Amalekites, and I want you to totally destroy them. The men, the women, the children, the animals, even the king Saul, he brought back the king. The people brought back other things. And then to rationalize it, they say, these, they, they brought back things devoted to destruction to sacrifice to the Lord your God at Gilgal. To, to rationalize, Lord, we're going to use this in worship. We're going to make our worship better. We see the, these things are choice. These things are so cool. These things are so much better than we've got. Let's bring them back and let's worship God with them. And you don't think about the second commandment there. If you don't invent worship, you don't start designing worship around your things. God has a particular way that matters to him. But, you know, they're, they're not interested in the commands of God. They're interested in what they think is wise. That's insubordination where you, you say, I'm not going to follow the commands. I'm going to follow what I think is better. And that's exactly what they do. And you get this famous phrase, verse 22. Samuel said, Has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, here's the phrase, to obey is better than sacrifice. They said, we're, we're sacrificing, we're worshiping. God said, no, no. To keep my command would have been better than your worship. Your worship is born out of your disobedience. Your insubordinates claiming to, to worship the one who's over you. Uh, so many times we rationalize our impatience. Saying, well, this is, this is what we need to do to worship God. God, I will praise you if you'll just get me out of this. And we, we don't stop to meditate. Maybe God got me in this. And these trials, this, this life of waiting, it's his nature to be slow in maturing us, taking us through things. And yet we fight that constantly. Um, I'll give you an example of it. Look at Ephesians 5. We're going to get here, and I'm going to go through uh, this passage verse by verse soon. But Galate, uh, Ephesians 5, beginning verse 22, you have some verses for husbands and wives, and then chapter 6, some verses for children, for families. And if you're impatient... If you're not walking by the Spirit, if you don't have the fruit of the Spirit, which is patience, remember Ephesians 5, verse 18, tells us to be filled with the Spirit. If you don't have that filling of the Spirit, you can't keep these commands. Notice them, uh, Ephesians 5, verse 22. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Wives, you can't do that without patience. You just can't. Being submissive to a man is, is a life of tremendous endurance. Without complaint, without fussing. You can't do that. And so to rationalize, we say, well, he's not respectable. He's, he's not a good head. He's, he's, he's the wrong person for me. So many things. 
And then it says, verse for husbands, verse husbands, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church, really. How did Christ love the church? He says, and he gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Husbands, are you sanctifying your wives? Are your wives more holy because of you? How are they doing under that? that leadership? Have you so shared the word of God with them that they have more of Christ than they did before they met you? you say, well, that's hard. Yeah. That's the kind of love he's, he's asking husbands to have. And say, I don't have time for that. I'm too busy for Bible study and prayer and, and, and talking to my, my wife that way. Yeah, impatience. We don't want to endure. And we don't want to deny ourselves to that level, which is what Christ did. And it goes on and says, verse 33, Nevertheless, we've all got problems, but each individual among you is to love his own wife as himself. And the wife must see to it that she respect her husband. Um, He's not respectable. I didn't ask if he was. See to it. To obey is better than sacrifice. See to it. You just do it. But I don't have time to love her like that. You loving yourself, love her like yourself. You see, all of this requires... An enormous amount of stay to itness, endurance. We take the vow that we're going to do this and then we don't endure because it becomes a trial, because it becomes work, because it gets hard. It's difficult. And he keeps right on going. Verse chapter 6, verse 1 Children, obey your parents in the Lord. For this is right. Honor your father and your mother, which is first commandment. Without a promise. How many kids grow up and say, well, you just don't know. You just don't know. I know better. And the whole goal here is to be insubordinate. I can, be, I can rationalize insubordination because I know better. There's something wrong with my parents. Or there's something wrong with my husband. Or there's something wrong with my wife. God gives commands. And we don't want to endure We want to be insubordinate. And we think that's okay. And what we're missing here is this fruit of, it requires patience to endure without grumbling, without complaining. But God, this is not working. This might take 30, 40 years, maybe more, before we'll ever have a happy home or happy marriage or whatever. We're in this this world that that throws endurance and patience aside. But not God's church, not God's people, because it's the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, Impatience is really the the life of a practicing atheist. You say you believe God, but you don't really live like God has asked. We turn from his commands because we say, I I just can't endure that. Um, And patience is is so key to see this ingredient in God and uh, become aware. I need to become aware of God, his word, his direction, his will, his experiences, his submissiveness to that will that I can be submissive and endure those things. I want to help you cultivate this a little further. Recognize the context for patience. The context. This is crucial. Look at um, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 through 20. Because we think God would not want me to endure, you know, if it wasn't right. If it wasn't fair. 1 Peter... Chapter 2, God gives us the context. 
for patience. And it's unjust. It's an unjust time. 1 Peter 2, 18. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. For this finds favor. If for the sake of conscience towards God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if when you do what is right and suffer for it patiently, you, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. God says anybody can be patient when everything is going good and there's no problems. He said, what, what credit is that to you? The context for patience is when things are going bad, the person in authority over you is not gentle, they're not kind, they're not right, but you still endure it with patience. When it's not fair. I mean, we think, I don't have to do this. This is not fair. And God says, well, what credit would it be to you to only be patient when it's fair? Life is not fair. Whoever, well, it was Satan who's deceived the world thinking, well, you, you need a fair world. The world is not fair. God is a God of justice, but man is a man, is an unjust creature. And, and none of us get a fair shake because we're living under the curse um, in a world of sinful people. Uh, God says, I, I want patience to occur in a harshly treated environment. That's when I want your patience. That's the context. When you're harshly treated, when it's not fair, when times are tough. Think about the, uh, the example of Christ as he's coming out of the Garden of Gethsemane, going to the cross. You remember the mob shows up at night and... Judas betrays uh, Christ with a kiss, and these people still ask, you know, who's Jesus? Which one of you is Jesus? We've come for Jesus. And what does Peter do? Peter says, "Uh uh-uh, you have no just cause to come and get him. He's done nothing wrong. This is not fair. He pulls out his sword. He's ready to take him out and does cut off an ear. You know, and Jesus' response to that was, Peter, Put that back up. Heals the ear. You know, I've got power. I don't have to. I didn't have to come to earth. I didn't have to die for people's sins. I could wipe out this mob. I can call down legions of angels. You've got to understand, I'm here to endure the trials. I'm here to, to go where it's unjust, where, it's, where you're harshly treated. Christ knew the will of God. He wasn't ignorant. He wasn't insubordinate. He understood God's trials, thankfully, for our good. But we're so much like Peter, and we want to say, but it's not fair. And we, we, we just need to, to get out of this mess. When God would say, no, that's exactly the mess I want you in. Because that mess is going to create in you godly character. Um, we, if I ask, how many of you have ever said, I don't have to put up with this? All of us. Instead of stopping to think, maybe God created this just for me. This is the mess that makes life worth it. This is the mess I need to endure This is the trial divinely designed to create Christ-likeness in me. It's not fair. It is harsh. But I need to endure. I need the fruit. I'll need the enablement. I'll need the grace of the Spirit. I need that fruit of the Spirit, which is patience. Um, One other thing... Remember, in the midst of all of this, God's constant patience with us. As we're seeking to to be more patient, no better person to look to than our own God and say, 
God, you're, this is small compared to what you're having to do for me even now. Get overwhelmed with God's patience towards you. Look at his teaching on it. Look back at Genesis chapter um, 6, story of mankind just before the flood. We'll look beyond that uh, just to think about the patience of God. Genesis chapter 6, verse 3 says, The Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever. So God's patience has a line. I'm not, I'm not going to be patient forever. But I am going to be patient. And he had been patient up to that point. He says, Because he is also flesh, nevertheless his days shall be 120 years. And that's significant because now we never see people live over 120 because God said, I'm done letting people live so long. You know, if you just go back one chapter, you have Methuselah, 969 years. God had to put up with him 969 years. How would you have liked to have been his wife? You had to put up with that man for 969 years. You know, and God is now saying, I'm kind of fed up with this. That's a long time. And he had put up with a lot of people for a long time. He said, we're going to cut this down. People can't endure that. That's too much. Let's, let's go to 120. And so if, if you endure for 120 years, we will praise your name in heaven. Okay? That's the kind of endurance God is asking. But he says, man um, was struggling. Verse 5, the Lord said that the wickedness of man was great on earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Think of the descriptions there. God said, I'm having to put up with man. And every, I look at their heart, and every single heart, and every single thought of every single heart is evil. And I have to live with that. And then God said, okay, let's, let's clean the slate. Let's start over. And he brings the flood. Except for Noah... And his family. Eight people survive the flood. God washes it, the earth, away because man was evil, wicked, not doing what God had commanded. So the flood comes. After the flood, chapter 8, verse 20, then Noah built an altar. So he's already finished building the ark and he's gone through 40 days and 40 nights of rain and everything being washed away. And he comes out. Can you imagine walking out of that ark? Doesn't see any neighbor. None of the past civilization. Everything's gone. And he says, we need to worship God. Because everything just changed because of God. He built an altar to the Lord and he took of every clean animal and every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. Then the Lord smelled the smooth, soothing aroma. And the Lord said to himself, I will never again curse the ground on account of man. For the intent of man's heart is evil from his youth. And I will never again destroy every living thing as I have just done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, shall not cease. We talked about this at dawn last week. Uh, this solves a lot of the global warming argument. God, God has already promised since the days of Noah, you're going to have fall, you're going to have winter, you're going to have spring, you're going to have summer, you can take it to the bank, it will never cease as long as you're on the earth. He says you can count on it. Even though your hearts are evil from the day you were born. 
So if you do a little evaluation of your heart again, you're going to see the same evil that caused the flood is still there. And I should wipe you all out again. But I'm going to give you a promise that I'm not going to do it that way. We're going to do something different. You're going to have four seasons. I'm going to sustain this world. I'm not going to wash it away like I did. And a sign of me not washing it away, he says uh, over in chapter 9, verse 13, he says, I will set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be for a sign of a covenant between me and the earth. And it shall come about when I bring a cloud over the earth that the bow will be seen in the cloud. And, and you know that old story. Sadly, some have translated that rainbow because you see it after rain, but it's not a rainbow, it's a bow. The Hebrew word is bow. And what just happened was God targeted the earth. He went to war against evil mankind, and he won. He slaughtered us. And then he said, I'm going to hang up my bow. And the, the bow, think of an Indian longbow. That's what he's talking about. I'm going to put the bow in the sky. I'm not going to target you anymore. I'm not going to come and destroy you even though your hearts are still wicked and evil. I'm going to be patient until the coming of Christ and then I'm going to shoot Christ. I'm going to pour all of my wrath out on Christ so I can be patient with you. So when you see the bow, remember God has stopped fighting us. And he chose to make a covenant with Christ. Christ would take our pain and our wrath that we deserve because of our sin. But Think of the incredible patience God has to have with sinners. He is holy. He never sins. He has to put up with every thought that comes out of your heart. And every thought that comes out of your heart is evil. And God says, I have to endure that. That's not fair. That's not right. And yet he does. And it's the fruit of the Spirit is patience. That's his nature. And he wants us to, to have that nature, to endure without complaint all that he designs, to bring us to Christ, to show us Christ, and to produce Christ in us. There's, there's a lot of mess in this world and this life, and it's divinely designed for us to endure so that we can grow in patience. Let me give you a couple of verses. Psalm 37, Psalm 37, 7 through 9, just verses you can, you can hang on to, to to help you through this. Good promise here for patience. Psalm 37, verse 7, rest in the Lord. Wait patiently for Him. Do not fret. Because of him who prospers in his way. Because of the man who carries out wicked schemes. Cease from anger. Forsake wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil doing. For evil doers will be cut off. But those who wait for the Lord, they will inherit the land. Now, as he mentioned several times, quit complaining that it's not fair. Quit fretting. People have it better than you. Says, no, 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 endure. Wait, 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 wait without fussing. Be patient. Because those who wait on the Lord to do His work through the mess, you are the ones who inherit a new heavens, a new earth. It's not under the curse. So wait, wait, wait. Be patient. Rest in the Lord. Another passage, Isaiah chapter 40, perhaps more famous. Isaiah chapter 40, 
Let me start verse 28. It says, don't you know, have you not heard the everlasting God, the, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired? That's simply unbelievable. It's amazing. The eternal God has endured us for so long. And us meaning lots of people for a long time watching us. He says he doesn't become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary. And to him who lacks might, he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run, not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. God wants us to endure, to wait patiently. And He'll strengthen us. He will enable us. All of these things. I'm trying to go slow this morning. I want you to endure this. I want you to think about it. In this room, however many people there are, every one of us has something we don't want to endure. And I hope the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, saying, be patient. Why are you so ignorant and insubordinate, trying to get out of this thing? You need to endure. The long haul, the 120-year plan, be patient. Let me produce fruit in you instead of you thinking that life is supposed to be more fair, more just than this. And I shouldn't have to, to deal with this. Look, other people don't. Other people aren't going through what I'm going through. God says, I know, Wait. Be patient. It's a fruit that will grow in you and, and blossom in you. And you will look back on and, and see the strength that it will give to you. And you will become more and more like Christ, like God himself, as you in, endure these things. Well, turn our attention to the, to the Lord's Supper here. And I... You, you know that the, the early church, Corinth is one of the places where we get so much on the Lord's Supper. Their problem with the Lord's Supper was, um, well, some of the scripture we have is because they were impatient. They had lost it. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, most popular chapter for the Lord's Supper. Beginning of verse 20, it says, Therefore, when you meet together, it's not to eat the Lord's Supper. It, it, it's, it's in the context of a rebuke. You should be meeting together week after week to take the Lord's Supper. And he tells the Corinthians, when you meet together, the intent of your heart is not to take the Lord's Supper. Rather, he says, verse 21, for in your eating, each one takes his own supper first. And one's hungry and another's drunk. So they were having a covered dish meal along with the Lord's Supper. And instead of the Lord's Supper becoming the focal point, their own supper became the focal point. See, you, you, you care about whether you're going to get in line first, whether you're going to have your hunger satisfied or your thirst satisfied. And some of you, you're fighting over the food. You, you, don't you have houses, he says, to eat in and drink in? Why do you come to church to fight over food and drink? Some of you, you want... You're, that wine so much you're getting drunk. And it's become all about you. What you eat and what you drink. When you should be meeting to do what? And then he gives it to them. Verse 23, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. You know the same phrase with the cup. Do this in remembrance of me. God, listen, God has time for us to remember 
him. Don't rush to the covered dish meal to get your fill. God wants you to take time to just remember him. Do you have that time? No. I got, I, I'm busy. I got, I got, I got, I got, I got, I got, get, 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 get. God says, no. Take this and just remember. Take this and just remember that Christ died because God hung up the bow. That Christ died for you. Take this and remember a covenant in blood. So that you could endure and be saved and be redeemed and live like Christ. I'm so thankful we, we, we have time for this. And let's not miss this and think we've got to rush on. So many churches say, we don't have time to do the Lord's Supper every week. And I just think so much comes back to the, the fruit of the Spirit is patience. Take the time. Take the time, endure it. Even if it, sometimes it's a trial, endure it without complaint. Because we must remember. We must remember all that God has done for us in Christ. And then we can go out with patience, enduring the mess that He has designed for us. Let's pray together. Father, let your spirit do its work among us. Let us have the time as we take this meal to repent. For not enduring without complaint. Forgive us, oh God, we're such impatient creatures. All of us want to get on with something so much quicker than you've designed. All of us want to get out of something you put in front of us to be in for our proven character and growth and grace. Father, forgive us for not thinking about life as you designed it, for not thinking your thoughts after you, for not knowing your word and meditating upon it. Father, produce uncharacteristic patience in us. Make us a people that can endure the trials set before us with patience like the prophets who have gone before us. Help us now as we come to your table to think much of Christ and seek much his mercy. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen.